I'm going to read Habakkuk 2, verses 5 through the end of the chapter. Hear now God's word. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol. Like death, he has never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. Shall not all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him and say, Woe to him who heaps up that which is not his own for how long and loads himself with pledges? Will not your debtors suddenly arise and those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be spoiled for them. Because you have plundered many nations, all the remnant of the peoples shall plunder you. For the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. Woe to them, him who gets evil gain for his house, to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. You have devised shame. For your house by cutting off many peoples, you have forfeited your life. For the stone will cry out from the wall, and the beam from the woodwork respond. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, is it not from the Lord of hosts that peoples labor merely for fire, and nations weary themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the earth, or cover, or cover the sea. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you and utter shame will come upon your glory. The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you as will the destruction of the beasts that terrified them. For the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities, and all who dwell in them. What prophet is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies, for its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake, and to a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in it. But the Lord is in his holy temple that all the earth keeps silence before him. Let's pray together. Lord, this is your word, your holy, infallible, inerrant word. And so we ask that you would speak to us by your spirit. Would you grant us wisdom and understanding? Would the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Most of us are familiar with the story of David and Goliath, but to understand the importance of that story, that battle between the young boy and the giant, we have to hear the taunts of battle. As the battle lines drew up, Philistine army on one side, the Israelites on the other, the giant, the Philistine giant Goliath came forward and he said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And after a period of time, David, the young shepherd boy, came forward. And there is another series of taunts between the giant and the young boy. 
1 Samuel 17 tells us what happens. It says, the, the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistines looked and saw David, he disdained him. For he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistines said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. But then the young boy had a taunt of his own. And David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into my hand, into our hand. As we're familiar with taunting, the act of taunting from the battlefield to the playground to the touchdown celebration, but what might surprise you is that we serve a God who taunts. The Almighty God, the creator of heaven and earth, laughs at his enemies. He holds them in disdain. He scoffs at their foolishness. He mocks the mockers. God is the great king of kings, the creator of heaven and earth, and he deserves all honor and worship and obedience. But when the kings of this world set themselves up against our God, he laughs, he mocks, he ridicules. When we come to this passage in Habakkuk chapter 2, this is an ancient taunt song. Five woes that are composed in a form of a taunt song where God is promising that he will bring judgment upon his enemies. Habakkuk had asked, what's going to happen with all this wickedness? How long, Lord, will you endure this wickedness? God had said, I'm bringing the Chaldeans. They will be judgment. And Habakkuk said, how, how can you allow this to happen, These, this wicked nation? And the Lord said, I am going to bring judgment on them. He looks beyond the coming invasion to bring his promise of judgment, final judgment upon these invaders. So what we need to hear in this passage is that we need to understand that the taunts of the Lord of hosts is a promise of victory in Jesus Christ. It is a victory song in Jesus Christ. So we must put our hope and our trust squarely and solidly on him. So this passage has five woes, five taunts as part of this extended passage, and we will look at each one of these in turn. And as we saw last week, God had promised that the, the pride of Babylon the pride of the wicked would be their undoing. It would turn itself on its head. And as we look at each one of these woes, we will see that in a 
unique and individual way. So the first woe is woe to the plunderer. The plunderer will be plundered. Says, woe to him who heaps up, this is verse 6, woe to him who heaps up what is not his own for how long and loads himself with pledges. The Chaldeans were intoxicated with their military success, their violence. As it said in verse 5, he gathers up for himself all nations and collects for himself all peoples. He never has enough. He would consume and consume and consume. He would plunder all the nations and gather all the peoples. And as he did, he would do it in an act of cruelty and swift violence. And history tells us that as Babylon would do this, they would incur a financial debt among the people that they conquered. They would collect pledges that these people would become indebted to the Chaldeans. But what he says is that this will be turned on, their, uh, on its head, that the one who is incurring debt, uh, is, 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 is establishing this debt with the nations, will incur a debt of his own. He will have debtors, but those debtors will become his own creditors. It will be a debt of goodwill. His violence will build up such a resistance against himself that they will suddenly arise. They will make Babylon tremble. They and Babylon would become spoil for them. And the, we look through the pages of history, we see that God brought this to pass. This prophecy to Habakkuk probably takes place in, uh, was written in early 7th century B.C., perhaps uh, 607 B.C., Israel was taken into captivity by the Babylonians roughly 20 years later, about 586 B.C. But at five, in 539, King Cyrus of Persia rises as the new power and comes and conquers Babylon. But because of the wickedness of Babylon, the, the harshness of their people, Cyrus was not seen as a conqueror, but as a liberator. Because the plunderer was plundered. The second woe is that the fortifier will be dismantled. Verse 9, he says, Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house to set his nest on high to be safe from the reach of harm. The Babylonians sought to establish a kingdom that would be unshakable, unflappable. It would be an eternal kingdom. Um, they, they, were, they were fortifying their, their kingdom so that it would be free from the reach of harm. If uh, Nebuchadnezzar, one of the most famous kings of Babylon, wrote a uh, chronicles of his reign and he spoke of building these massive walls with a moat around the city of Babylon because he wanted to keep it safe from harm. He wanted to keep it as an eternal dominion. He, he actually wrote on an um, inscription of his own uh, that his intent was to establish an everlasting name 
for himself. But the Lord says, no. He said, you have sought to be free from harm, but in so doing, you have brought harm upon yourself. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have forfeited your life. And that, that word house in the Hebrew language, is there's a bit of a play on words. Um, a house can be either a building or it can be a dynasty and uh, of, of kings. And you see that in um, the book of 2 Samuel, the, King David had told the Lord, I want to build you a temple. I want to build a house, a physical house for the Lord. And the Lord said, no, that desire is good, but I am going to build you a house. I'm going to build you an everlasting dynasty. And Nebuchadnezzar was seeking to do both. His physical house was to be representative of this everlasting house that he intended to build. And you may know that the book of Daniel uh, describes a radical change in, um, in Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, Daniel chapter 4 is actually told from the perspective of King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. And the Lord, Nebuchadnezzar in his pride, looked out upon his kingdom and he, he applauded himself for what he had accomplished. And God humbled him by stripping him not only of his kingdom, but also of his sanity. And Nebuchadnezzar became like an animal, said that he ate grass like an ox, his his hair grew out like eagle's feathers and his, his fingernails grew out like bird's claws because God had humbled him from his high nest. And yet after a time, the Lord restored Nebuchadnezzar's reason. And Nebuchadnezzar said this, you confess this today in our uh, confession of praise. Nebuchadnezzar said, I bless the Most High and I praised and honored him who lives forever for his dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generation and all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. He does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? The fortifier had been dismantled. The third woe was woe to the empire builder. Verse 12, woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, is it not from the Lord of hosts that peoples labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing? Babylon, the Babylonians were not content in merely building a city or a town. They weren't focused mainly on the city of Babylon, but as the Babylonian Empire. But it was built on wickedness, on bloodshed, on violence. And the Lord said, woe to you for building such a thing on iniquity. And unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers labor in vain. And that's what the Lord said. He said, is it not from the Lord of hosts, the people's labor merely for fire, that nations weary themselves for nothing? They would build this empire. They would exert all their energy, their effort, their planning, and it would be 
destroyed in fire. It would be all for naught. They labored for nothing. And beloved, our God, nations rise and fall according to the providence of our God. You can see that throughout the course of history, but I can assure you that there's not a kingdom or a nation that is in existence today that will stand forever. Nations rise and nations fall. And Babylon sought to build this kingdom that had a reach that was throughout the world. But God in his high and holy estate said, this far and no further, he would tear them down. But, verse 14 says, for the earth will be filled not with the glory of Babylon, but with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. His kingdom is the everlasting kingdom. His kingdom is the one that remains and will fill the earth with God's glory. The fourth woe is that the shamer, or the, I'm sorry, the shameless will be shamed. Verse 15, woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. But this is not a social drink. It is with wicked intent. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. Babylonians would seek to intoxicate their neighbors in order to shame them, to ridicule them, and to molest them. They would make them drunk, and it was an act of violence and wrath. You mix your wrath in this drink, and he would hand it, they would hand it to them. But the Lord said, this, you would, you would make them drunk, I will make you drunk. You would mix your wrath, I will mix my wrath. He says, you will have your fill of shame instead of glory. You sought to shame your neighbors, I will shame you. He says, drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. It's an interesting play on words there. One sense he's causing, he's saying he will make Babylon drunk with his wrath so that they will be shamed. They're, they will expose themselves, but their exposing of themselves will reveal their uncircumcision, their wickedness, and their separation from God. Their out, being an outsider. And they would mix that wrath in their cup. They would hand that to their neighbors. And the Lord said, the cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you. The cup of God's foaming wrath. And they would drink it to the dregs. Utter shame will come upon your glory. God would certainly pour out his wrath upon them. And then finally... Fifth woe is that the idol maker will be silenced. It says, what profit is an idol when its maker has shaped it a metal image, a teacher of lies, a maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Babylonians were idol 
makers and idol worshipers, and God was mocking this foolish work of idolatry. He said, you're, you're, you're making, what, 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 what profit is this thing? You've made it. It's a teacher of lies. He says, you're, the maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. He, he, speechless idols. Essentially calls them dumb dummies. They're speechless idols. And kids, don't ever call anybody a dumb dummy, but that's what God calls idols because they're foolish and meaningless. But not only that, he mocks those who make them. He says, verse 19, Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, Awake, and to a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? It's overlaid with gold and silver. There's no breath in it. What are you doing? But in our sin, <laughs> that's our foolishness. It is our foolishness to make something and to trust it and to put our hope in it and to worship it with all of our heart. God says it's foolish. And, it's fo- and, and to turn it on its head, these idol worshipers would become like their idols. Scripture says that all who serve idols will become like them. We become like what we worship. These were dumb, silent, inanimate objects. And he says, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before him. We ought to become silent in reverent awe before our God. And so the Lord rebukes or taunts these Babylonians with what he will bring to pass. And it may seem to you odd to think of the Lord as taunting his enemies, as though it's somehow beneath his dignity, something childish. Like, how could the sovereign and holy God do this? Well, beloved, this is how God reveals himself to us. God demands allegiance, and he sees the folly and the foolishness and the nonsense of wickedness that is turned against him. And he laughs. And he laughs with a a bit of disdain to say, you will crumble under my foot. You will be crushed if you do not turn and submit to me. But as we, so as we consider this, I think there's three important things that we need to say. The first is that taunting like vengeance belongs to the Lord. This is not something for us to partake in. We, we taunt in our different environments because I think we were, cre- because we were created in the image of God and it's part of our nature to 
do that type of thing. But we also desire justice. We desire vengeance when someone is against us. But God clearly says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. Leave room for God's wrath. And for the same token, we ought not to taunt. We lack the power to exact perfect justice. So I think it's an act of God's grace that he tells us not to pursue vengeance because he wants perfect justice. We lack the power to make good on our taunts. And so we refrain from taunts and let the God, the sovereign God of the universe, declare what he will do and fulfill it in his might. We are to use our words to encourage and to build up and to warn because our taunt, our boast is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. In essence, the gospel is our battle cry and our taunt that Jesus Christ has come and is protecting us, has promised to secure us for glory and that he will come again in glory to pour out his perfect justice. And so we warn, we encourage, we plead with everyone, put your hope and trust in Christ while today is the day of salvation and today is the day of God's mercy. That is our, t- our boast. Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. The second thing we can say is that God's taunts here in Habakkuk 2 reveal to us how God orders his providence this side of glory. These things that God promised in the course of, or through Habakkuk, came to pass in the course of history. Nations rise and nations fall. Assyria had come and had destroyed the northern kingdom of Israel. And Babylon, God raised up Babylon. Babylon destroyed Assyria. Now Babylon was coming and was bringing God's people into exile. Then the Lord would bring up, raise up Persia. And then Persia would take out Babylon. Soon the Greeks would take out the Persians and the Romans would take out the Greeks. And so on and so forth. But God is just and he demands justice and he works justice. So we must live with justice. Prophet Micah said, God has shown you what is good and what the Lord requires of you to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. And we talk about the pleasing and beneficial aspect of God's law, that there is blessing for us in this life. We ought to see that there's also devastating effects to wickedness. God will bring negative implications to people's wickedness. He, he promises it because he is just. The, the judge of the, the earth will do right. Now, he doesn't say how, and he doesn't say when, but he says he will. And as we look at even our own landscape and we see our own, our own life, and we see things in our own lifetime that have have been cyclical. Life, Life seems to be cyclical as wickedness 
People rise up against wickedness and bring it to an end, but then a new wickedness comes to pass. I mean, I've seen it in the, in the job market where there are employers who are taking advantage of their employees. And, after a time, and they talk about how it's an employer market. But then after a while, the employees rise up and it becomes an employee market where now the employers are being taken advantage of by the employees. You see it in discipline strategies for parents. There's a time where authority and discipline and directness was a primacy within the parenting circles, but then there was talk about how it was too harsh. We need to be showing more grace to our kids. And now we live in an age where discipline seems to be cast aside and kids are exalted as being supreme. And we will see, we see the wickedness of all things. <laughs> and there's a correction with every, every phase of this. But it's a, it's a never-ending cycle. As one, it, one wickedness is addressed, another one rises up. Because we're on this side of glory. But don't mistake what happens in the course of history. These are not the natural events of things, the nat just the natural course of things. There's no such thing. God is the sovereign God who works out all his holy will. He brings about justice for wickedness. And he works through the people of this earth. But it is this endless cycle. If you think that we will ever reach a point on this side of Christ's return where we have figured out how to live justly in a perfect way, you're mistaken. Perfect justice will only come when Christ returns and puts an end to all wickedness because the wickedness in our hearts is perpetuated from generation to generation. And truly, beloved, we should say that true righteousness, true obedience, true, the true uh, righteousness that God desires is only in Christ Jesus. God's law, we can't look at God's law as though it's some abstract set of rules that we ought to follow and then God will bless us. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Our true righteousness is only in Christ Jesus. That is where our true blessing is. And apart from Christ is only wickedness, no matter how nice or shiny it may be on the outside. But on this side of glory, there is justice, although imperfect. But at the same time, and this is the third thing we ought to see, is that these taunts remind us and show us of what God, he reveals what his perfect and final plan is for all eternity. That he will bring perfect justice. On, in the heavens and the earth, and there will be no more wickedness of whatsoever. He promises victory, and none can say to him, what have you done? None can stay his hand. Which is wonderful news for us who are in Christ Jesus. 
That's our, our hope and our longing that Jesus has promised that he's coming again and that he's bringing his justice. But it's also a dire warning for those who are not in Christ because there is a distinction. Those who are righteous in Christ Jesus and everyone else. And all, everyone else, in and of our own strength, in and of our, ourselves, we are the wickedness of Babylon. We are the ones that will have our wickedness turned upon our heads from all, for all eternity. But the good news of the gospel, beloved, is what God has done in Jesus Christ. Is that he has turned our wickedness on its head and put it on Christ. So that in Christ, God would take his righteousness and put it on us. In our wickedness, we are the plunderers. But God turned that on its head and Jesus was plundered for us. He was stripped of his clothes. They were wagered from him. He was beaten. In, he, he is the one who left his heavenly home, his eternal place of safety to endure harm for us. He is the one who left his eternal throne to come and, and contend with the ruler of this age. He is the one who was shamed, stripped, mocked publicly on the cross for us. And he is the one who the cup of God's right hand, the cup of God's right hand came and he drank it to the dregs for us. He drank that wrath because we could not. And because he has done that, his righteousness is turned on us. And we receive that in, in its full glory. We who ought to be plundered have been lavished with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. We have been given an eternal inheritance. We've received grace upon grace in Christ Jesus. We who ought to have our house dismantled forever and ever have been adopted into the family of God and given a, a seat at his table forever and ever. We who ought to be uh, destroyed along with the kingdoms of this world have been brought into the, the eternal kingdom of the Son of God. We who ought to have be drunk with the wrath of God are given a celebration of his blood and are clothed with his righteousness and his glory rather than the shame that we deserve. And we who are idol worshipers, who make and serve that which is not God, he has put into our hearts a new song and he has filled us with joy because we get to worship the one, the true, and the living God in truth and righteousness and holiness. And beloved, this, this is the gift of the gospel. And if you don't know Jesus Christ, that's what you're missing out on. And what you have as your hope is this judgment 
that God has promised. Because what we know is that if we turn to the page, the, the end of the story, if we go to the end of Revelation, we know that the earthly nation of Babylon was merely a picture that God was painting of his eternal judgment upon wickedness and sin and the wicked and all powers of evil. And this taunt, this victory song is what we see at the end of the story and this is our hope. Hear the, hear the echoes of the taunt from Habakkuk chapter 2 in these uh, words from Revelation 18. He says, After this I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with its glory. And he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. And he says, Pay her back. She herself has paid back others. Turn it on her head. Repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup she has mixed. But there's a call to rejoice. Because he says, rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. And a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea saying, so will Babylon the great city be thrown down with violence and will be found no more. And after this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just, for he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her blood the blood of his servants. And once more they cried out, Hallelujah. The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. Hallelujah, beloved. Our God will fight for us. He will be victorious. It is certain the judge of the earth will do right. We will have our justice and our vengeance, and it will be in Christ Jesus because he who has promised is faithful. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this great hope. Forgive us for doubting that you see or that you will do anything. Give us patience. Give us perseverance as we struggle with the wickedness that we see even the wickedness in our own hearts. Thank you that you are faithful to every one of your promises and help us to, to hold fast to those promises in Christ Jesus, our Savior. We pray these things in his name. Amen.